This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. Now, please take a seat. The passage we're going to speak about this morning is on page 929. It'd be great to have it open. It's a bit of a complex one, and also there's quotes, and there's kind of inner conversation in that passage, so really great to have it open in front of you as I go through it. But I want to begin by asking you, where do you turn when you want to feel more human? A man came to see me one day a few years ago. He was desperate and lonely and depressed. As part of the conversation, he told me that he'd been paying for sex. Now, we talked for a while about it, and he finally said, look, it just makes me feel more human. And no doubt it did, just for that second, to be touched and to be intimate with another body is something we crave. But of course, it was a trick of the light. He had bought the body, purchased the body of another person, had used it. And the feeling of being disconnected and unwanted soon flooded back in, even worse. You and I live in a very strange place. Let's call it planet porn. I use the word porn because in this passage, the Greek word, which we've translated fornication, is actually the Greek word porneia. And it, it really reflects the world we live in, doesn't it? Let's call it planet porn. On planet porn, the message is everywhere that sex is not just a recreation. It's an existential quest to be fully human. Your body is equipped for sexual pleasure. You are entitled to extract as much sexual pleasure as you can from your experience. In fact, you should, or you're not really human. You aren't anyone unless you're having the sex you want. The promise of planet porn is that it will give us this sense of significance and connectedness and the feeling of being alive in our bodies that we so desperately want. And the really complex thing here is that sex can give us that feeling. It's like electricity. That's a great analogy, actually, electricity. It's a, an extremely powerful and positive force when insulated and directed, but deadly and destructive when it's not. Now, first century Corinth was planet porn, no less than 21st century Sydney. It was a bustling port city filled with merchants and sailors and people from all around the Roman Empire. When, when you say merchants and sailors, they were doing what merchants and sailors indeed like to do when they're R&R, &R, and it was a hub for R&R &R with a thriving sex industry and religious cults to go along with it. In fact, you know, they cut to the chase and united the two because you could visit a temple prostitute at the temple of Aphrodite. Uh, the Romans called Aphrodite, uh, who was the goddess of love, they called her Venus. And around 2 BC, a few decades before Paul went there, a Greek philosopher and travel writer called Strabo, he wrote this. He said, the temple of Aphrodite at Corinth was so rich that it employed more than a thousand female prostitutes whom both men and women had given to the goddess. Many people visited the town on account of them, and thus they contributed to the riches of the town. 
This was sex tourism, first century style. For the ship's captains frivolously spent their money there. Hence the saying, the voyage to Corinth is not for every man. Corinth was also known for its male prostitutes. And in this town now, surprised to say, was a small group of Christians. A church had been planted. Now let's be clear about this group of people. They weren't the do-gooders. They weren't the kind of huddle of puritanical people who'd managed to find one another in the town. Were they pure and pious and righteous and noble? Well, not at all. And as we've been reading through the letter, that's become more and more clear. You know, when Paul starts off our passage for today in verse 9, he's pretty direct with them, isn't he? He says, this is, these are the things that you used to do. This is who you were. This was your identity before you gathered here. Do not be deceived, he says, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers. Now, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty frightful list, isn't it? But look at verse 11. He says, and this is what some of you used to be. This is what some of you were. Let that sink in for just a minute. Who were they? They were a people who could be identified by a shameful list of crimes and misdemeanors. This is a group of what we in Sydney would call colourful identities. But something had changed. And what was it? Had they cleaned up their acts and just made a better effort? Had they come to their senses? Well, now that can't be it, because Paul is now trying to tell them that their behaviour needs to change. So quite clearly, not everything's been cleaned up. Yet, you remember from a couple of chapters before, this is the church in which there's the man sleeping with his mother-in-law or his stepmom, we're not quite sure, and then people are suing each other. Remember from last week, people are taking each other to court. Perfect, this church ain't. So what has changed? What's changed is that they've been given a new identity. They've become new people, new men, new women. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. It's a great verse. This is what some of you used to be. But now what's happened? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Washed sanctified, justified. Now, these are not just religious jargon words. These are incredibly important personal words for the people of Corinth, the Christians who were gathering in Corinth, because it meant that all the shame and guilt and disgrace of their past way of life had been wiped away. They'd been given a powerful and radical spiritual makeover. Now, one of my vices is, or one of my former vices is that I used to watch makeover shows on television, one of the great uh, discoveries of the ad, the uh, reality TV era in which we still are in. You remember The Biggest Loser, right, for example, uh, or Extreme Makeover. And you can get makeovers for your body, you can get makeovers for your house. And the, the story of the makeover show is essentially this, isn't it? The narrative is the same. Change your outside, lose that 50 kilos, and you will be a different person. 
Get someone to remake your kitchen or your garden. Get a different makeup, a better haircut, a new wardrobe, and you will be changed. Your sorrows will cease. You'll be a new man. You'll be a new woman. You know, sometimes this is how people hear Christianity. They hear us saying, they hear the Bible saying, clean up your act. Have a makeover. Try harder. Stop being so weak. And I don't know about you, but, you know, for for me that that has its appeal because I feel like I can do something. And it kind of works for a little bit of time. I can stave off planet porn for a bit if I try. But it doesn't change me. I'm still the broken person on the inside. And that's because the direction of our makeover is all wrong, isn't it? The Corinthians, what kind of a makeover had they been given? They'd been given a makeover that changed them from the inside. How had this come about? Well, it's all to do with what Jesus did for them. Have a look at verses 19 and 20. It's all through the passage, what Jesus had done for them. But here in particular, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know, Paul says to the Corinthians there, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Remember, there's rent boys sitting there. There's prostitutes sitting there. There's people who are entangled in terrible sexual relationships. He says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Bought at a price. Now, that may sound deeply offensive to our ears. In fact, to say that you are not your own and bought at a price Could you say anything more offensive in the 21st century? We are radical individualists. We like the idea of owning ourselves. We hate the idea of belonging to someone else. We can't imagine being not our own. But consider what the price was. Think about what kind of transaction this was and who it was who has made the purchase of you. Jesus gave his own body for you and me. He purchased us at the cost of his blood. He did not pull out some coins from his pocket, but paid for us in blood. He washed us of guilt and shame. He freed us from the prospect of deadly condemnation. And what's more than that? He gave himself for us so that we would belong to him. We belong to him. And this is not belonging in the way of being a possession like an object. But belonging as in a family. We now have a place to belong. And a person we belong to and with. We are part of him, united to him, one with him. Think how different things are on planet porn. Porn and prostitution are enormous industries. In fact, we call it by the absolutely perverse phrase, the sex industry. An extraordinary thing to have. They involve a payment for false concocted industry. 
Intimacy. Christ pays with his whole body for real intimacy with you. It's a transaction where instead of both parties feeling dirty and compromised and less than human, guilty parties are made clean and made whole and made the people, the human beings, they were made to be. Now, I'm going to talk about sex in just a minute, but we won't get what Paul is saying unless we get this. At 8 o'clock, someone said, well, that was a fire and brimstone sermon. But nothing could be further than the truth. This is a passage which overflows with the grace and freedom and forgiveness of God because of who we now are in Christ. The sex thing matters because of who we now are. And Paul uses two really powerful pictures to help us to see it. The first one is the body, and the second one is the temple. In verse 15, he says to the Christians, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You know, your bodies are parts of Christ's body. If you belong to Christ, then your flesh and blood and bone and organs, you, you are attached to Christ. Your body, which is destined to be raised from the dead in glory with him, belongs with all the other bodies here to Jesus Christ. Even in your distinct and unique way, your body belongs to Jesus Christ as his body with all the other bodies. The physical you is not separate from the spiritual you. You belong to him in toto, wholly. And through him, The Spirit of God now treats your body as its temple, its home. It lives in you. That body, with all the things you've used it to do, is now the sacred venue of the Holy Spirit of God. We love this building here. We treat it as sacred and holy. We take care of it. And I'm here to tell you, as the minister of this church, I don't desecrate it. I had a phone call, my second phone call from Married at First Sight, uh, and they wanted to use St. Mark's to film uh, this, this kind of the show. And if you don't know about the show, Married at First Sight, you get married at first sight, hence the title of the show, Married at First Sight. And they wanted to use the building, and I'm sure that they would have paid us a couple of thousand dollars to do it. And I said, no, it took me about two seconds to say no, because it would cheapen this building, wouldn't it? It, and it would cheapen what it means. And couples who come to get married here, who have got married here years and years ago, would think that's really a bit of a desecration of what everything this building stands for. And yet, says Paul, these are just stones. The real temples, the real place where God actually lives is here in your body. Your body is the place that the Holy Spirit of the God who made everything in the universe takes its residence. You are his dwelling place. So we'll sing in the last hymn, today, extraordinary hymn, that the Spirit of the Holy God would fix his dwelling in us, in our bodies. Now, I don't know if this is something you know already in your life, but this is where I want you to pause What I'm not saying today is be more moral. What I'm saying is give yourself body and spirit to Jesus Christ because he gave himself for you. Be bought by him. Belong to him.
And I want to ask you, if you haven't done that yet, why not do it? Why not do it? Maybe come to the Lord's table today and feed on him. Join with others as they depend on him, as they experience his healing power, the power of forgiveness. But that's why Paul says what he says about sex here too. He's not being a prude. He's extremely sex positive. He's saying, you and your body are now someone holy and precious to God. You can't take what belongs to God, what's been bought by Jesus at the price of his body, and desecrate it. You can't unite it with a prostitute, he says here. You can't take the body for which Christ gave his body and which is joined to the other bodies in the body of Christ and united to the body of someone to whom you are not married. And the Corinthians were still kind of cavalier about it. And at verse 13 and 14, he sort of has a back and forward with them. He quotes what they are saying. They're saying, look, surely I'm free to do anything I like. Can't I? Don't I have liberty in God and freedom and forgiveness? And now I can just do what I like. And Paul says, no. That's a deeply destructive path and you knew it was all along and that isn't who you are anymore. You are changed. And then he says, see, the body is not meant for fornication. The body for whom Christ died is not meant for fornication. Fornication being the word for for having sex with someone you're not married to. But it is meant for the Lord. And that's not just one way because the Lord gave himself, the Lord Jesus gave himself for your body. You and your body were rescued for Jesus and to serve him. You were not rescued for sexual misbehavior. Your body's destiny is to be raised with Christ in glory. You are now one with Christ. Are you now going to take your body, that precious thing, and use it as as if it did not matter what you did with it? Now, sexual sin is at one level no worse than any other sin. But in another way, it is. And Paul says this in verse 18. Striking words, he says here. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the fornicator sins against the body itself. Sexual sin has a particular impact on you because of the way it enmeshes your body in the body of another. The man using porn not only shows contempt for women in general and for the women he loves, but also damages his own sexual self and makes it much harder for himself to know true erotic love. The serial monogamist breaks her own heart through successive deep attachments that don't lead anywhere. The womanizer finds that he is hollow hollow inside. The adulterer destroys her own family. And so says Paul in verse 18, shun fornication. Or in a clearer translation, flee planet porn. Flee sexual immorality. Don't you get it? If you are tempted by sexual immorality, if you're entangled in it, enmeshed in it, if it's a pattern in your life, if it's there, don't just stand there, says Paul. Run. Get out of there. This isn't just a piece of moralizing or fire and brimstone stuff or anger. It's one of the most compassionate words in the whole New Testament. And many of you here know too well from bitter experience that it is a word of compassion 
sex outside of marriage and some sex in it, we'll talk about that next week, damages not only other people, it certainly can do that, it damages you. And if you are a Christian, it isn't who you are anymore. Now, I don't want us to be under any illusions as to what Paul is saying to us as contemporary Christians living on planet porn. The contemporary church, I'm sorry to say, is no better than the Corinthian church. We're often fixated on the sexual sins of some, a small minority, but we're missing the way in which we have all bought in to planet porn. We've normalised Tinder and its hookups. We've forgotten that being a disciple of Jesus Christ involves the whole of us, including our sexual selves. If I can speak frankly, in the past five years, I've come from the ivory tower of academia to the parish, and I've been shocked at how few church-going Christians who pray, who want to serve Christ, who see themselves identify as Christians, have any idea about what Jesus Christ says about their sexual selves, or if they do, they think it's kind of out of date and optional. But here's what the Word of God is saying to us today. Run away. Don't have sex with someone you aren't married to. Don't nurture that romance of the person you're flirting with. Don't look at pictures of other people having sex. Don't use your sexual power to manipulate other people. You know when you go on that overseas trip or that cruise, don't have that affair. Don't buy into the what happens on tour stays on tour. Lie. Don't pay someone to have sex with you. That's not what your body is for. That's not what Jesus died for your body to be used for. Now, but you may say here, you tell me to flee sexual morality, but isn't that just telling me to try harder? Where, where am I to go? It's all very well to tell me to escape, but where am I going to escape to? What am I going to do with this terrible need for intimacy and, and this need to be touched and this need for love? What, how can I resist that welling up within me? On planet porn, there seems to be nowhere to turn, nowhere to escape because it's all around us, because it's got into our very selves. It's impossible, it seems, to simply run away. Well, Paul gives us an extraordinary answer. He says, we are to flee to the arms of Jesus. The great uh, German theologian and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favourite writers, once said on this passage, he said, flee. That can only mean flee to the place where you can experience protection and help. Flee to the crucified one. Flee to the crucified one. The only way to escape the destruction of self, the destruction of the family, is to run to a better intimacy, to run to Christ as you pray to him, as you meditate upon him, as you praise him, and as you seek to obey him. Most of all, as you fling yourself into his arms, we are to put our bodies under his lordship. And what kind of a lord is he? He's the lord who died for us, who gave his body for us. We are to see our bodies as he sees them. How are they? How does he see them? They're washed 
washed of shame and guilt. They are the temples of the Holy Spirit in which Christ's Spirit lives. They are destined to be raised from the dead in glory. And as those who gather around Christ's body, we, the church, we are to be the alternative to planet porn. We are to be that place of safety and hope. We speak to one another of a different kind of fulfillment, a different kind of being human. We are to protect and honour one another's bodies. We are to comfort one another in our loneliness and to encourage one another in our brokenness. And let me speak to you today. If you're a person feeling the burden of shame about your sexual self, Paul knew that the church would contain sexually broken people. It's really important. He knew that the church would contain people like you and me. He wasn't expecting the church to be a place for the sexually healthy. In fact, let's not be hypocrites about it. This community... This community here is wrestling, is filled with people who are wrestling with planet porn and sometimes failing. If that's you, then the body of Jesus Christ is your place. It's your place to flee to. His is the body that was given for your body. He does not think of your body as unworthy or as tainted. He died for it. His spirit lives in you. Through him and in him and with the other bodies that he has saved, that he has cleansed, you can be really human. You belong to him. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.